0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين السلام عليكم الله وبركاته I'm Umm Abdullah welcoming you to another episode inshallah of Imam Ghazali's The Beginning of Guidance Bidayatul hidayah Let's start inshallah with our dua for learning بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم إني نويت تعلم والتعليم والتذكر والتذكير والنفع الانتفاع والإفادة والإستفادة والحث على تمسك بكتاب الله والسنة رسوله والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلاله على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وكربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى all praises for Allah, the Lord of the worlds, I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind, to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others, to encourage adherence to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Messenger, sallallahu Alaihi wa to call to guidance and direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance of Allah, His divine pleasure, closeness, and His reward, the Most Exalted and High. Amin. ya Rabbil Alameen. We are continuing in this episode with the practices and the dhikr and the engagement in worship that a person should be performing in the mosque. The overall picture that Imam Ghazali is presenting here is one, as we mentioned before, of two things. Tartib, which is a schedule or a system or a structure to one's day, and what goes into that tartib of acts of worship of the ritual prayer, dhikr and remembrances, al or litanies and reading of the Quran. In the last episode, we looked at when a person leaves the house and goes to the mosque, what they do when they enter and they perform two rakahs of prayer, whether that be to greet the mosque or as the sunnah for their obligatory fajr prayer and then they read some du'as. And then we finished that episode with Imam Ghazali's advice when he said, When you finish supplicating, do not occupy yourself with anything except the remembrance of Allah, glorification or the recitation of the Quran until the time comes for the obligatory prayer. Now today, inshallah, we're going to go into what happens when we hear the... Adhan. Now Imam Ghazali gives us different scenarios. One scenario last episode was we heard the Adhan, we pray, we go to the mosque. The scenario today is that we've gone to the mosque before the Adhan and this could happen in any of the other prayer times as well. So what happens if we're in the mosque and then we hear the Adhan and then we respond to the Adhan and then we will have some du'as and some dhikr and then go into the prayer. And he actually describes the prayer a little bit later in the book after probably a couple of more episodes. I would just like to point out a few things that are relevant for women, particularly about going to the mosque. And this just falls under general adab, general etiquettes and behavior. The first is that it is recommended that a woman pray in her house. And this is, according to the Hadith, the best place for a woman to pray is in her own house. And the reasons for that are because when a woman does go to a place which is mainly frequented by men, then of course there is the chance of her causing a type of fitna or her presence there being a distraction to men and a woman needs to know how to behave in that situation when she does go. In the Shafi school in particular, there's absolutely no prohibition on a woman going to a mosque to pray. There's nothing that's discouraged about it except she needs to adhere to some basic standards and conducts of behaviour. So the first is if she does go is not to wear any perfume. And this is uh, normal for a woman leaving the house under any circumstances, whether for worship or otherwise. A woman should not leave the house with any perfume on that is able to be detected by somebody around her. The only perfume that you're allowed to wear is that which you can smell on yourself. And should someone come very close to greet you, to kiss you on the cheek for example which wouldn't be anyone other than your husband or uh, your own mahram, your own family then you're not allowed to wear anything that could be smelt further away from your immediate personal space so no wearing of perfume out and particularly not to a mosque and also you shouldn't adorn yourself and go in your best clothes You shouldn't wear makeup or anything particularly attractive. And why would you anyway? You're going to the mosque to pray. The best clothes and the best way you can present yourself in the mosque is to be clean, is to be obviously with your correct form of tahara, of purification, and to present yourself to Allah with not only a clean physical form but also, inshallah, a clean and yearning heart which knows that this act of worship that you're performing in has been obligated on you as a sign of your servanthood and as a means of your connecting to Allah and being in his presence and knowing your neediness towards him. So why do you need to get dressed up to go to on a shopping spree when you're going to the mosque? So a person must be vigilant about how you present yourself and what you're actually leaving the house for and the state that you leave the house in. The second point I want to make is in the mosque, and particularly if you have small children, that it's very important that you keep them under control, as difficult as it can be, because the mosque is an open space and when children get in there, they can often go crazy running around, they think it's like being in a big park or something. So you don't go unless you know that your children can sit and be still and quiet, particularly in the Juma prayer, the Friday prayer, or that you're able to occupy them with something for the time that you need to pray. And please, sisters, do not take colouring books with pictures into the mosque. Uh, do not give your children the phone where they sit and watch cartoons while you're praying. Um, if it is that you cannot keep your children still for the amount of time that you need, then don't go to the mosque, okay? And that goes also in Ramadan as well, in the Taraweeh. It is most distressing to the women who go to pray when they want to go and seek that seclusion and that intimate connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have other people's kids running riot. I know from my own experience once when I had a couple of little kids and I went with some friends and all of our children were friends and they ran absolutely riot. And this was 20 Rakahs, and the women afterwards literally rounded us up and abused us and told us, do not bring your children to the mosque and you've spoiled our prayers and you've wrecked our night. And it was so awful that I never went to a mosque for 10 years after that. And the only time I went is when my youngest, I knew would be able to sit still for that amount of time, or her other sibling could look after her. And that's just the way it is. So even though you want to go and you think, oh, I'm missing out, particularly in Ramadan, you going to the mosque and upsetting other people is worse for you then staying at home, putting your children to bed and praying your tarawih yourself. And I know how it feels. You want to have that spiritual connection and you're yearning for it and you want to get out of the house and you want to go and be with other people and listen to the recitation. And I know how that feels, but this is part of the struggle of motherhood. And unless you can keep those kids contained, do not go. And it's worse for you and sinful for you to go and to cause distress and harm to other people so that you can have your moment of what you think is your connection to Allah. And we all want that and we seek that and we yearn it and we have hearts that want Allah and want to feel the the nafahat, the breezes. But sometimes we have to realize that our sacrifice of that is better for us and to try and seek our connection to Allah through having a better state of heart in the things that we are doing on a day-to-day basis. And that's Tarbiyah and that's real spiritual training is to find the joy in the things that look mundane and that look trivial and that just seem like hard work all the time. And this is a struggle that women have, that parents have, that we need to see the worship in the raising of our children, the worship that is actually looking after other people, the worship in things like keeping a clean house and having an organized house and spaces, um, these are the things that are our deeds and we need to be able to perform those deeds with a heart that is connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what Imam al-Ghazali teaches us and he talks about that in several of his books, not just in the Bidayat al-Hidayah but also in the Ihi al and also in his book, The Arbaein. And it's very crucial to us as women that we don't think that what we are doing is degraded or in any way not significant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The opposite is true because we are raising people. And what could be better than that? to raise children to be worshipful servants of Allah. And I know it's very, very hard to have that attitude because we're raised in the West with this idea that what we do of value happens outside the home. And being at home and being a wife and being a mother are things which have become so belittled in value that we can't even see that even Allah who's put us there might find value in it for us. And that's how bad our state and our attitude towards what we are given in life has become. And unfortunately, that affects a lot of people very negatively. However, those moments when you do get to feel that connection, when the children are asleep and then you can go and you can read Quran and you can pray in the night, these are the valuable moments and rewards that we get in the dunya. And really, when we compare what awaits for us in the akhirah for the hard work and the hours that we put into raising our children and the patience that's required, then inshallah, these will seem like brief, sweet moments to a lifetime of bliss. And inshallah, we ask Allah for the best in both worlds. So what we need to do and what Imam Ghazali, what he's trying to point us to here is that we need to be aware of where we are all the time and what we're doing within that. And this is really one of the major points in the book. So here we're at the mosque and praying, inshallah. So we have prayed our two sunnahs and we're waiting for the obligatory prayer. So then, as he says in this scenario, you're in the mosque and then the adhan goes. And then he mentions about when you hear the call to prayer, he says, Bismillahir Rahmanir rahim may Allah benefit us by His knowledge. Fidaraini Ameen. Fa'ida فإذا al adhan fi athna'i ذلك, faqta' ma anta fihi, washtagil bi jawabi He says, When you hear the call to prayer, stop what you're doing and devote yourself to responding to the mu'adhim, to the person who is calling the prayer call. Then when the mu'adhim says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, faqul so repeat that and likewise with all of the phrases you need to repeat after the muadhin what he says except for when the muadhin says then afterwards you repeat la hawla wala kuwata illa billahil and our commentator al jawi says some interesting things about that and he says that when you say la hawla, what you're saying is there is nothing that can take you away from disobedience except for Allah, and wala quwa, that there is nothing that can put you into acts of obedience except for Allah, the Most High and Mighty. In the Fajr adhan, there is an extra line which says as that prayer is better than sleep. And there are two ways of saying the response to that. wa bararta or wa barirta. So there are two ways to pronounce that, and it means you have spoken truly and done well. Then Imam Ghazali mentions a dua which is made only after the Fajr prayer. There is a standard du'a which is made for the five prayers. Allahumma rabba hadihi da'watama wassalatil qaima aati saidna Muhammad al-wasilah wal-fadila wal-sharf wa-darajat al-'alayya al-rafi'a wa-bath al-maqam al-mahmud al-ladhi wadta inna ka la mi'ad. So that's a standard one after all the five, and then there is this one also after Fajr. But the translation for the standard one, so O Allah, the Lord of this complete call and this and this prayer that is about to be established, grant Muhammad, sallam, a place near to you an excellent rank and an exalted degree, and raise him to the praise station which you have promised him. Truly you do not break your promise. Imam Ghazali advises us and says if you hear the call to prayer while you're engaged in prayer then complete what you are praying and respond to the call afterwards in the usual way and that would be the same if you're engaged in anything else so whether you are for example in the bathroom or doing something else that you wouldn't normally be able to make that response, then you complete what you are doing and respond afterwards. And it's also said that a person who does not respond to the adhan or have some intiba, some type of attention paid towards it whilst they hear the adhan, then it will be very difficult for them or they may even not be able to say the shahada, la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah, on their deathbed. So sometimes we think, oh, it's just the adhan, yeah, I'm doing whatever I'm doing, it's okay. But we don't realize that often these things will catch up with us later. And this is a part of our training and our self-discipline is to be able to respond to things in the correct way when they occur. And the adhan is a real blessing for people who live in places where they're able to hear it because it is that constant reminder of Allah and that constant reminder of how you should organize your day and given that this book is about organizing our time then the adhan is extremely important for that and in fact it really indicates to us as Muslims about our regular lifestyle because when we think about what we're going to do in the day it often revolves around prayer times so, oh, I'll just go out after Zuhur. Oh, my friends are coming after asr. Oh, I'll catch up with you after Maghrib. Things like that. Oh, the, the flight leaves before Fajr. So where are we going to pray Fajr if we're on the plane? Things like that. So, so much of our being and understanding of the world is determined by our acts of worship and how those acts of worship structure our time and our day. And not only is it the formal acts, but it is the other acts as well, which Imam Ghazali puts a lot of emphasis on, uh, which also go into structuring our day and, the, and therefore the state of heart that we are in throughout the day and our connectedness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through our remembrance of him in every waking hour, InshaAllah. insh'Allah. Then, when the Imam starts the obligatory prayer, then you stand up and pray. And as I said, the prayer will be explained a little bit further on, inshallah. And then, when you have finished the prayer, then you say, Astaghfirullah, I seek forgiveness from Allah three times, and then read the following dua. <laughs> And there are variations on that, basically meaning, "Oh Allah, you are peace, and from you comes peace, and to you returns peace." So protect us from all calamities and let us enter the abode of peace. Imam Ghazali goes into quite a few du'as here. And the ones that I'd like to point out, there is one that the Prophet taught Sayyida Aisha Rodullahu Anha and it is called the comprehensive complete supplication Min al-jawami Wal Kawamil. So those that are most complete and comprehensive. And basically I'm just going to break it down into its parts because oftentimes we forget what to ask for, or our mind might go blank, or we can only think of immediate things and we might not always necessarily see the big picture and what we should be asking for all the time. And in this one, Sayyida Aish was told to say, "Allahumma as aluka min al Khayri Kulli. So Allah, I ask for you for all good. Aajili wa whether it comes sooner or later. Ma alimtu minhu wa alam And of that which I know and that which I don't know. Then she seeks refuge in Allah from all evil. Min ashari that which comes sooner or later and that she knows or that she doesn't know. Then she asks Allah for Jannah, for paradise. وما قرب إليها من قولٍ أو عملٍ أو اعتقاد. and what will bring me close to it of words and actions and beliefs and then to seek refuge in Allah from the fire and what will bring me to it from words or actions or beliefs and then she says I ask you what خير ما سَأَلَكَ منه عبدك ونبيك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم she says, I ask you for everything which your slave and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, sought from you and I seek refuge in you from everything that he sought refuge in you from. Then she says, اللهم وَمَا قَضَيْتَ لِي مِنْ أَمْرٍ فَجَعَلْ aqibatahu rashada. Oh, my Lord, whatever matter you have decreed for me, make its end one of guidance. So, clearly, we have major concepts. We ask for the good, we seek refuge in the bad. We ask Allah for paradise, we seek refuge in the fire. And we ask Allah for everything that the Prophet asked Allah for, and we seek refuge in everything that he sought refuge from. So if you can't remember anything or you struggle to come up with du'as, then just remember those things. And inshallah, as we are told here, this is the most comprehensive and complete supplication. And then all the other personal things and things that you want in your heart, you can keep that in your heart while you're making this du'a. You can ask for those things at any time also as well. And inshallah, then you will have a complete du'a. There's another one that Imam Ghazali mentions here that the Prophet, peace be upon him, advised his daughter, Sayyida Fatima, may Allah be pleased with her, and it says, "Ya Oh, ever living, oh self subsistent, Ya Hayyu Ya So means the one who is. Alive and self-sufficient in himself. And Qayyum, the one who suffices and sustains others. So that's two of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya hayyu ya Qayyum. By your mercy I beseech your help. Leave me not to myself nor to any of your creation, even for the blink of an eye, and set right for me all my affairs. And It's recommended to read that 19 times before you enter any sukh or marketplace or the mall so that inshallah you don't get affected by the type of activity there and the calling of your nafs and the calling of your desires and inshallah that you will not be left to any of the creation so that Allah won't turn away from you because of your turning away from Him. Imam Ghazali then says to pray. With any of the du'as which have been transmitted and we can refer to those in many books and a lot of the books that we have are actually compilations or extractions from the Ihya al umad and which really is the source of uh, so much of our knowledge. And the scholars over the years and centuries have done so much khidma and service to that book and made it so available that a lot of the things that we read we don't actually even know come from there. Particularly the works of Imam Haddad, very heavily influenced by Imam Ghazali's work. And of course, Imam Haddad being the mujadid or the renewer of his time, he was able to take that and make it. ...and present it to the people of his time in such a way that they could relate to it according to their states. And we have our own scholars now who are able to do that for us, given our state and the issues that we face. And this is how we can see the universality and the relevance of everything in Islam for all times and places and all people... Then Imam Ghazali says that your time from after the morning prayer until the sunrise should be divided into four types of spiritual work. So this is from prayer until the rising of the sun. And what you should be busy with in that time is du'a, remembrance and glorification, which you can repeat on your prayer beads, recitation of the Quran and reflection and reflection here means reflecting upon your mistakes and sins and your shortcomings and deficiencies and how you have exposed yourself to Allah's painful punishment and his great anger. Imam Ghazali also advises us to think ahead about how we're going to organize our other forms of dhikr and remembrance and worship. So If we think, okay, I'm going to be busy here and there, I have an appointment, I have work, I have to do this and that, then think, okay, when will I read my al When will I read my dhikr? And have a plan for the whole day. So, okay, I know when I'm busy with this, I can do that dhikr. Or I know I'll have five minutes here, so I'll do that. I'll read a couple of pages of Qur'an. And know as well that any mundane act which doesn't ordinarily fall under the category of worship can be turned or made into an act of worship through your intention. So if it is that you need to pick something up from the shop, then you can turn that into an act of worship by thinking to yourself, I'm looking after my family, I'm feeding my children and my husband, um, I'm contributing to the Muslim community by buying from Muslim shopkeepers. I'm helping those people keep food on their table. So whatever you're doing, you can turn what they call the Ada, which is a daily and usual act into an act of ibadah by changing your intention. And this means that there's absolutely nothing in life that goes to waste. So when we are truly mindful and truly aware of what we are doing and why, then we're able to make sure that we benefit every single moment and take advantage of everything that Allah puts before us and there is nothing that will pass us by without us having engaged in it in a way that is most beneficial for ourselves and other people. Imam Ghazali also reminds us not to neglect to reflect upon the nearness of your end and the approach of death. That cuts short all hopes, uh, then you should reflect upon the removal of matters from the domain of your free will, which means that you should know that there are certain things that you have no control over and not to be focused upon that. You have to submit and have istislam. I give my matter over to Allah, for Allah is indeed all seeing of His. Servants, and really, that statement, which is actually an ayah from the Quran, and is used as a dhikr, and you can read it eleven times in the morning or in the evening. It is the most liberating thing to say. Whatever you feel of hardship or difficulty or some type of gloom, if you say that wa ufoidu amri ilallah then it lifts it from you and really you feel so much lighter in your heart because you know that this matter which essentially is something that you can't change except through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changing it for you and then by giving it back to him and saying I hand it over to you to deal with then what you've actually done is just put it back where it comes from anyway and you've said to Allah that I am just you're a weak slave and I need you to fix this problem for me and here is my problem and that is Islam, that is submission and that is servanthood and that is also tawakkul by recognizing that we can only do what we do but that it is Allah who actually is the one who changes our circumstances and will be the one who inshallah brings about the best result. When Imam Ghazali says we should not neglect to reflect upon the nearness of our end, in modern times people might look at that as being rather morbid and think, oh gosh, you know, these Muslims, they spend their whole day thinking about death and visiting graves and what's going to happen to them in the next life. But if we get a proper perspective on that, we realise that, what that thought does is number one, it's not morbid, okay, and it's actually very invigorating because it's meant to motivate you to live in a better way. It's not about pondering on this inevitable that everybody's running away from by drowning themselves in entertainment and distractions and gossip and carrying on and fashion and plastic surgery and who's doing this and that, it's something to remind you that we're not going to be here for very long, so make sure that you make the most of what you're actually doing and don't waste any time. There are 10 prayers that Imam Ghazali recommends that should be part of our litany, our weird of glorification and remembrance, and we'll just read through these quickly. First of all, La ilaha illallah, Wahdahu la sharikala, Lahul mulk, Wahlahul hamd, Yuhi wa Yumit, Wahua hayun la yamut, Beyadihil khayr, Wahua ala kulli shayin qadir. There is no God but Allah alone who has no partner. His is the dominion and to him belongs all praise. He gives life and death and he is the ever living who never dies. In his hand is all good and he has power over all things. Number two, لا إله إلا al الملك al المبين. There is no God but Allah, the Sovereign, the True, the Clarifier. This dua is recommended to read a hundred times also after Dhuhr, prayer, as a means of protecting one's skin from the fire. Number three, لا إله إلا الله الواحد القهار. رب السماوات والأرض وما بينهما العزيز الغفار. There is no god but Allah, the one, the conqueror, lord of the heavens and the earth and all that is in between, the magnificent, the forgiving. Number 4, Subhanallahi walhamdulillah wala ilaha illallah wallahu akbar wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahil aliyyil azim. This is called the Baqiyatul Salihat, it's mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf. This uh, statement comprises the words that the Prophet said are the most beloved words to him. Very, very great words. We could have a whole uh, talk on just these four statements alone, but enough to say that this should be a part of our daily uh, wirt. Number six, Subhanallahil Azeem wa bihamdi. All Glorious, All Holy Lord of the Angels and of the Spirits. SubhanAllah al Number seven. I ask la ilaha illa al Hayul al-qayyum. Wa as'aluhu tawbata wal maghfira. I seek forgiveness of Allah, the mighty, apart from whom there is no God, the ever-living, the self-subsistent, and I ask him to accept my repentance and grant me forgiveness. Number eight, Allahumma <laughs> la ma'ni lima wa la manat, wa la qadayt, wa la yanfa'u O Allah, none can withhold what you bestow, and none can bestow what you withhold, and there is none to repel what you ordain, and the fortune of any who possesses fortune will in no way avail them against you. So don't think that your wealth and power and status in the world is in any way going to help you or protect you against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is delusion and falsehood. Number nine, he says. Allahumma soli ala Muhammad in wa ala Ali Muhammad. Oh Allah, bless Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. And number 10, Bismillahi ladhi la yaduru ma ismihi shay'un fil ardi, wa la fi sama huwa sami'ul alim. In the name of Allah, by whose name nothing on earth and nothing in heaven can cause harm, He is the all hearing, all knowing. A uh, very important dua. And Imam Ghazali says to repeat each of these on your prayer beads 100 times or 70 times or 10 times, which would be the minimum, so that the total will be 100. So you read each of these 10 10 times in order to get to 100 repetitions. The reason for repetition, of course, the hikmah in it, the wisdom in it, is so that the person can have manifested in them the light and the meaning of these words. So when a person's heart is present in their dhikr and the dhikr is on their tongue, then inshallah they're able to benefit the most because they'll begin to see with constant repetition more and more depth of meaning in those words. And inshallah those words will affect them through the light that they bring into the heart. And also by changing the them then it prevents the person being bored and it allows the person to be expansive in their thought and remembrance of Allah because so many aspects of Allah's that of his essence and of his sifat of his attributes and his actions are being mentioned and that is a complete way in which a human being is able to know their Lord which is through those three elements, the essence, attributes and actions. And we go into that in our other podcast, Left or Right, The Straight Path Please, when we discuss Surah Al-Fatiha and also that uh, topics which come into Al-Qaeda and beliefs and tenets of belief. Uh, but for our purposes, the more we can manifest Allah our Ma'bud, our Lord who we worship, the more our hearts can be affected and changed by his dhikr, his remembrance, then inshallah, the more purified they become. Inshallah, and as the Hadith Qudsi says, that the universe cannot contain me, only the heart of my believing servant contains me. And that's through marifa, that's through the gnosis, the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's also hidayah, that's guidance. And may Allah guide us to knowing that and to having our hearts deeply entrenched in dhikr and constantly connected, inshallah. Then Imam Ghazali says, read this litany regularly. And also in the commentary, it says any litany. It doesn't have to be these. But as I said, you would recognize them and you are encouraged to get a book of du'as that you are able to learn and memorize. And also most of these are in the uh, Wirdul Latif, which is the daily weird that Imam al-Haddad uh, wrote and recommended for his students and for Muslims everywhere, and that's read twice a day after Fajr and before Maghrib, all over the world. Most of them will be there. And Imam al-Ghazali says, don't talk before the sun rises, which would mean talk about dunya things and nonsense things, um, because he says that that occupying oneself with remembrance until sunrise without speaking in between is, as is narrated from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa superior to freeing eight slaves of the descendants of Ismail. So to show how great it is to be engaged with remembrance of Allah until that time. And he says, know this well, and you will be divinely guided if Allah most high wills. It's also important to remember that the rizik, the spiritual rizik, the spiritual sustenance, which is apportioned, two worshipful and devoted servants on the earth is given out at that time. So if you sleep from after you've prayed the Fajr prayer until sunrise or after, then you're actually missing out on taking what's called the Ataya, which is the givings, the divine givings that are spread out and offered to the people who are awake and in remembrance of Allah and who take them. So you cut yourself off from your spiritual rizq if you go to sleep at that time. And what sleeping means there is not a sleep that overcomes you out of exhaustion, but a sleep like, mm, gee, I'd like to get all cozy in bed. And this is something that shaitan actually whispers to you. And it takes a lot of self-discipline and strength to be able to resist that, particularly on a cold winter's day or in the summertime when the Fajra might be three or four o'clock in the morning and you know that you don't really have to get up for a couple of hours before you're required to go to work or do whatever you need to do. So it's so tempting And it would just seem so logical and normal, like pray and go back to bed, like isn't that what we do? Well, if you do that, you will cut yourself off from these divine outpourings, which are only offered at that particular time. And secondly, you avail yourself to really bad dreams, and you probably know that the most intense and visual and disturbing dreams can often be at that time, and they come from shaitan. And it's also said that there are four hours of the day in which a person should be awake and remembering Allah. An hour there doesn't literally mean 60 minutes. It means just a portion of time within that hour. So that would be 15 minutes before Fajr, which is when a person should be up and praying to Hajjud. And then... For the time after Fajr until the sunrise, as has just been mentioned, and then in the afternoon, at least 15 minutes before Maghrib, so that last part of Asr time when the sun is going down, and then for the time after Maghrib until Isha, and to revive that time and to be awake and in remembrance of Allah, whether that be through. A gathering of knowledge or the Ratib, the Ratib al Haddad or the Ratib al Atas, which are read at that time, or some other form of dhikr, inshallah, that you should read something and be engaged actively with remembrance of Allah between Maghrib and Isha, which is called Ihyya bain al-Ishayayin, so keeping alive the time between the two night prayers, which we will go into later, inshallah, just uh, as the book progresses. But know that they are the four times of the day where the spiritual rizq is allocated in the morning and in the afternoon the material rizq is allocated. So particularly there before Maghrib, that's when you should be remembering Allah to take a portion, inshallah, of what is offered of rizq and reading Surah Al Waqiyah as well. We'll go into that later, inshallah. So that's enough for now for us to understand how to schedule our time and what to do in our time in the morning between the Fajr prayer and when the sun rises, inshallah, may Allah give us Taufiq. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك